गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि वो सो माई प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू अगेन एंड मोर देन वेलकम वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग विथ आवर सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स concerning vaishnava etiquette so today we are in our meeting 11th meeting where we will be starting a new topic in connection to diksha mantras the chanting of diksha mantra nam japa sankirtan and how vaishnava etiquette plays itself out in the connection of these different uh, limbs of our sadhana But as usual, let's begin with some brief recap of what we were studying uh, during last week. Our last third session connected to the concept of sadaka deha and what to do with that, if you will, in the context of Vaishnav decorum. So we were sharing some practical tips after some introduction and after how to deal in different daily moments of our schedule. So we began our last meeting speaking about some Uh, considerations to have while bathing hmm, in the shower if you will hmm, the importance of it in in itself morning shower we share some ideas regarding toothbrushing hmm, and also we try to understand some scriptural statements that may sound a little bit too extreme coming from different books like hari bhakti vilas and how to understand them properly according to time place and circumstance hmm, how to apply that to our present condition situation nowadays we also share some considerations regarding different um types of water if you will cold water warm water the cleanliness of clothes regarding sleeping and bathing and etc trying to always emphasize this conception of of cleanliness as in something that will uh invoke sattva and on the basis of that sattva we may be more prepared if you will more equipped for transcending sattva itself eventually um we spoke about there other types of bathing or shower not only the one with water in some exceptional cases or just to consider regarding ashes and cow dust and mantra snan mantra bathing or manasika snan in your mind connect to smaran on shri krishna so after the bathing chapter if you will we spoke on achaman as well in the most simple of its forms so some extra part of daily purification we spoke about this conception of the of ganga water ganga jal on how to make ganga jal with a particular mantra uh, i didn't mention that but in any case someone may may need that mantra if you don't know it you don't have it you can just ask me by private message and eventually i can send you this different mantras we may be sharing so after speaking about Uh, achaman how to perform that in in the, in the simplified way we spoke about tilak which also receives the name of urdra pundram or srihari mandir which has to do with conceiving our body or sadaka deha which is not ours as i mentioned as a temple as a mandir of hari and as as a temple it has to be ornamented decorated so tilak has to do with that and in this way increasing our awareness of the sacredness of of this body and in this way not seeing the body in in a different way like just a vehicle a means 
for separate interests and whatever types of enjoyment that are not connected to the idea of being in a temple, basically. Hmm? So there were different types of tilaks. We spoke about that according to which sampradaya you are, according to which parivar in the same sampradaya you are. And even in that context, there are different uh, materials you can use for making the tilaks. So we spoke about that. Hmm? Gopichandan, Radhakunda, Earth, Shamkunda, Tulsi, Earth, or water, Ganga water, in case you don't have any of them or you cannot use them on a daily basis for some specific reasons. We also explain in, in, de in some detail the different mantras that we use when putting the different markings of tilak around the, all along our body and different meanings of those names. Three main levels we mentioned that some of these names that may be connected to Vishnu to begin with, then we could connect them on another deeper level to Krishna, Braj Krishna, and even in a more specific way to the particular affinity one may have for, for him there. So Achaman, Tilak, all this is to be done on, on one asana ideally, not standing and not sitting every, anywhere, basically everywhere and anywhere, but in a specific place ideally. Also, as an extension of the idea of Tilak, we mentioned the possibility of wearing the footprints of Bhagavan, Trihari, Krishna, Radha, Mahaprabhu, Nityananda, or the names of ones, Ista Devata. One can also recite prayers in between, many nice prayers one may uh, include in, in one's morning sadhana. Also, we share some ideas, some words regarding uh, Sika, regarding wearing the Kantimala, all of these different symbols that some of them specifically are connected with the Gaudiya Vedanta, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, like Kantimala, Sika being a more universal Vedic-like uh, designation, if you will. And somehow or other, the purpose of this as well, as once my Guru Mahesh will say, is that that will protect you by wearing those things. In many senses, it protects you. One of the more practical senses is that when people see you with Sika or Kantimala or whatever, Tilak, they will ask you about that. You have the opportunity to engage in Harikata and that, that way be protected. But also, you should behave according to what you will say. You have to walk the talk. So those items also are forcing us, if you will, to represent the ideal they point to. So that way we, we, protect, we are protected from ourselves, if you will. <laughs> so it's important if, for, if we wear all of them or any of them, that we have the proper awareness and how they are blessing us, how they are protecting us, how they are invoking further and further bhakti scars and a sense of identity that may be really tied hmm, to our ultimate ideal, basically. Hmm. So, again, we share all these considerations. In some cases, some of these things may not be there, possibly, but, for example, if you are to enter into the altar, all the things are mandatory for sure. And all this, achaman, bathing, tilak, and so on, are preliminary, if you will, functions before chanting one's diksha mantras. So today we will continue with that. We will continue with the chanting of diksha mantras, and of course, in, in connection with that, nam japa, sankirtan. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I won't be able to cover all these points in one single lecture. So for sure, we will extend our discussion at least one more meeting. Let's see how many more. So, so let's begin speaking about Diksha Mantras. Sometimes we may call that Mantra Dhyan or meditation in our mantra. And with mantra, I refer to what sometimes is popularly known as Gayatri. Mm -hmm. So this, this is what comes after in our daily schedule. 
somehow or other. We are like kind of given a general glimpse of how the day may uh, unfold, if you will, in a general way. But strictly speaking, although we may express in regarding to these mantras as Gayatri, strictly speaking, that's not correct. Because Gayatri, there are many Gayatris to begin with. Of course, generally, when we say Gayatri, generally the, the idea in, in, in India or in connection to Vedic tradition is what we call sometimes Brahma Gayatri, which sometimes is called Savitri Gayatri. Some different names is referring to Ombu, Bhubha, Swaha, and so on. And sometimes, of course, it, it's, it is given a name because there are so many other Gayatris present there. Even in our own Diksha Mantras, we sing many Gayatris, but not all the lines that we sing, for those who have received Diksha, are Gayatri in itself. Gayatri refers to a particular meter hmm, of, that has a particular number of syllables and so on. Hmm. So the point is, we may say, I will chant Gayatri, but actually it's a, a, a loose way of expressing that. So more specifically, it's, Diksha mantras, because we have Gayatris, of course, we have Guru Gayatri, Gaur Gayatri, Kam Gayatri, Brahma Gayatri, but we also have Mantra, Guru Mantra, Gaur Mantra, Gopal Mantra, which are not Gayatris, it's another structure. So we may refer to them, and I will do that here, as Diksha mantras. And of course, whatever I will say in the context of Diksha mantras is applicable for those who have actually received Diksha, and I'm sure not all of you present here have gone through that initiation in particular. So I will be brief in this. So those who have not received Diksha do not feel like, well, I, I, don't, I do not have not anything to do here. And then we will proceed with Nam Japa, in which all the ones presented can, can be included. But if brief considerations about Diksha mantras are important, even if you are to receive Diksha at some point, you can already get a grasp on this. So of course I... Uh, this is generally done still, we are in the Brahma Muhurta moment of the day, accordingly to the timing we were sharing, and again, this is a general idea, each one will deal with this according to their possibilities in their daily schedule. So when we say Brahma Muhurta, I mentioned Brahma Muhurta is lasting for uh, an hour and 36 minutes, that is 96 minutes, but it's important to note, and I think I didn't, so excuse me for that, that one muhurta doesn't last for 96 minutes, but half of that. One muhurta lasts for 48 minutes. So when we speak of Brahma muhurta, we are speaking about two muhurtas in one. That specific moment of the day sometimes called Arunodai, which has to do with the previous moment to the sunrise. Bhakti Notagur has his famous Arunodai Kirtan. So actually Brahma muhurta are two muhurtas put together, but sometimes it's called as one because of that specific period called Brahma Muhurta, but every Muhurta lasts for 48 minutes, strictly speaking. So regarding the Diksha Mantras, going back there, I won't elaborate on the meaning of them and the significance of them, because this is not the topic in this series, although it's always important to, to how to say, to bear in mind the significance of their content in order to approach them with the proper decorum because as much as you have a some sambanda of what we are about to embrace that will help you to properly uh, conceive and appreciate and value and take that seriously whatever you are about to embrace so the diksha mantras are given by sri guru in the moment of diksha technically called initiation and all of them as you know, in our particular lineage, we received lines connected to Guru. Hmm? Uh, 
Mahaprabhu, Krishna, Radha, according to the conception of some of our Acharyas in the Brahma Gayatri and even in Gopal Mantrakam Gayatri can be taken in that direction according to one's affinity for sure. Um, but the point is that all these different lines are there to develop our relationship, increase our sense of relationship with all the personalities included there through the medium of mantra. Through the medium of mantra we can develop our connection with three Guru by reciting Guru Mantra, Guru Gayatri, with Gore, Mahaprabhu, and Gore Lila in itself, but chanting Gore Mantra, Gore Gayatri, with Braj Krishna, but chanting Gopal Mantra, Kam Gayatri, Brahma Gayatri, Srila Siamras has explained that very beautifully in connection to Radha Dasim, which can be applicable in the context of Manjari Bab, or if one may have affinity for Priyanarma Sakya as well. So again, I won't give a detailed explanation of each line and every word of each line, that may be for another moment, but the point is, it's significant. It's not just something that I received and I can just uh, dismiss that or chant that whenever I want, whenever I can. As much as we become aware, again, of the depth of the content in these sounds, divine sounds coming from the heart of Sri Guru, from the heart of the whole Parampara through Sri Guru to our heart, we will be able to embrace them more seriously and make them a steady uh, part of our daily sadhana. So, when chanting our Diksha Mantras, uh, as usual, there will be different standards <laughs> according to one's own line, Paribar, or one's own Guru. Not everyone will do that in the same exact way. And this applies not only for chanting Diksha Mantra, but basically to most of the details of our daily devotional life. So do not go neurotic by comparing yourself or your standard with other standards and, and wondering which is the correct one. There's place for many of them being correct, maybe most of them and so on. So, and, and how to chant them different, for example, to give you some examples. For example, I have some close friends who are disciples of Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj, and part of their standard were chanting the Diksha Mantras is that after each line, or at least two lines, the mantra and the corresponding Gayatri, they offer Dandavat Pranam to the particular object of that mantra, and they continue chanting, or maybe some of them they chant almost like an hour of different prayers before, before chanting the Diksha Mantras, at least in the morning, this happening, or... There are some other lines where they will chant the Diksha Mantras once a day mm, during Brahma Mukhurta or twice a day mm, during the sun when the sun is rising and when the sun is um, how do you say setting mm, twice a day or thrice a day in the three sandhyams. Sandhyams means like junctures where the day no just when the it is about to become day just full midday and. When the sun is setting, in those three moments of the day, that's mainly our particular lineage standard. Or some other lines would do, they do one sing all the different lines we sing. Some we sing some other ones, some more or less. Some will sing only Gopal Mantra, which is the main Diksha Mantra. Some of them may sing Gopal Mantra as well, not only in the, as Diksha Mantra with the fingers as we used to do, but also with in Japa, with Japa Malta, they may sing a whole round. Of Gopal Mantra, there are different standards, different considerations, and Guru will instruct each disciple accordingly. So, whatever your Guru has instructed you, that's what you have to do basically. That's the way of simplifying all this and really getting focused 
in, in a particular way of doing the things. So when chanting the Diksha Mantra, Hari Bhakti Vilas mentioned that one should face, face east, eastern direction, ideally, or the altar. Of course, if you have an altar, you should face the altar. Ideally, the altar should be in the eastern direction, but who knows, sometimes it may not happen. So if you have altar and eastern direction and the altar is not in the eastern direction, you go to the altar, I will say. You should sit on an asana, again, after going through the bathing, the achaman, the tilak. Again, all these things won't take that much time. Maybe I'm explaining them in hours and hours and lectures. <laughs> but as we mentioned last lecture, uh, that won't take that much time. Achaman and tilak may take 5 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, bathing can take 5 minutes as well if you want. <laughs> And if you recite some other mantras and, and, and the recital, recitation of the Diksha mantras may take between 5 and 10 minutes, something like that. Hmm? So for those who were Upavita, hmm? Upavita, I, I refer, when I say Upavita, I mean what sometimes is called the sacred thread or this thread of sacrifice thread because it implies sacrifice of our ego beyond Brahminical uh, considerations and things like this. Not necessarily everyone wears a thread. My Guru Maharaj Generally, uh, it's not used to to give thread when he gives diksha. I was already wearing thread from before, so he considered I may keep it and, and meditate on how one will use thread eternally as a Brahmin Kishore in Nityanavadip, in Gorlila in eternity. So it's a secondary detail. But if you have an Upavita, which is in the, in the case of the males, uh, you should roll it three times around your right thumb. No, one, two, three. I mean, if you have Diksha, you should know these things. And, and, and you keep your hand approximately on, on, the, on the navel on that for chanting. With or without Upavita. Generally, we chant on that part of the body. Our hands are there, like covering. We chant with the right hand and the left hand will cover that. Sometimes I've heard that they mention chanting the morning Gayatri in that part, the middle Gayatri at the heart, and the uh, evening, afternoon Gayatri here. But... Generally, we do it always in that part. So, <clears throat> the Diksha Mantras will be invoked mentally, are not chanted uh, with loud voice, basically, are not bachika, they are not expressed through the mouth, but are more manasika, not even upamsu generally. Sometimes that may help to some to just whisper them, upamsu is called a type of chanting, but generally it's manasika, mental chanting with closed eyes and trying to meditate on the meaning of each line, trying to hear mentally hmm, the sound of each mantra and each dietary. So again, you for those who already have Diksha, you should know how to count them. You will count them in the phalanxes of the fingers going in this direction. There are 10 times each line and after that you go to the next line and after you go to the next line. Hmm, in some other lines, for example, Srila Siddharmas, if I'm not mistaken, they used to chant 12 lines, completing the whole phalanxes of the finger, these two also. But again, these are details that each guru will will establish and we should not over-absolutize them, if you will. Hmm? So now, regarding chanting the, the Diksha Mantras twice a day, three times a day, if, the, if, if that's the case, if the Guru has instructed the disciple to chant Diksha Mantras three times a day, sometimes I've seen devotees who are chanting these three sets of Diksha Mantras, all of them in the morning. So they finish the first, all the different lines of the first set of mantras, 
and they go to the midday, if you will, Diksha Mantra, but chant in the morning and in the evening, chant in the morning because they find, find it easier to do that doing along the rest of the day, in midday, they may be doing something and even in the afternoon. And while I understand that in some extreme situation that you are sure you won't be able at all to stop and do that, I think it's interesting to try to do that as best as you can, to try to chant these Diksha Mantras in the specific moments of the day, which again, in the morning is like, we already mentioned, ideally Brahma Muhurta before the sunrise or, or maybe a little later, but in the morning, between 5 and 6, 7, 8, 9, that period, but ideally Brahma Muhurta. The other one will be in midday between 12 and let's say 2. The other one will be in the afternoon, evening between let's say 6 and 8 or something. According, according to the place and the play, so many considerations, but that's a general idea. But my point is, it's important that you stop doing whatever you are doing to chant the Diksha Mantras these three moments of the day, especially midday and evening when you are maybe doing something else. As my Guru Maharaj will say, it's important to stop whatever you are doing during those moments to think about why you are doing those things. In big part, that's the purpose of stopping whatever you are doing and just focus on Guru, Vaishnava, Mahaprabhu, Radha, Krishna. Be reminded of yourself. Why I'm doing all this? Why I'm working? Why I'm in the middle of these dynamics in my daily life? This is the converging point. So that creates a very re-established focus along the day. Of course, that's not the only purpose of of Diksha Mantras, not just to remain focused on some level, but that's an important aspect. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of the Muslim sadhana, they have like five times a day, they have these daily prayers where they really stop everything they're doing. And they go to the floor, they put their little carpet, and they offer their prayers for some minutes and continue. And that's five times a day. We are, in that sense, a little bit more generous, three times a day only. So it's important, of course, a little bit longer, but it's important to stop. If you can, again, if it's not possible, that's another thing. But try to adjust in order to remain focused along the day. Starting the day, right in the mix of the day, daily dynamics, and just when we are getting the closing of our daily schedule. So during the chanting of the mantras, ideally, with again, we should be seated on an asana in a very calm way. We are going into the morning chanting, but it may apply ideally to other the other two times. Try not to move excessively. Try to not start to like to accommodate your neck, and because sometimes I've seen that. You no, know, sometimes diksha mantra is time is the moment for doing all those stuff, <laughs> and that actually shows that your the mind is not quiet. You no, know, you need to move here and there, and you start to move the hands and the legs and the neck and. And try not to touch your bodily parts while you are doing that, whatever, especially not the mouth, the mouth, not the nose, not the feet, not your private parts. I mean, try not to do anything, nothing apart from focusing on the sound and the meaning of the diction mantras. That will be the, the idea applicable here, and as we will see next, applicable also to Nam, Japa, to the chanting of Japa. Hmm? So some ideas I want to share with you, some considerations regarding, to begin with, Diksha Mantras. For those who already have Diksha, for those who are eventually about to receive it. And again, more in the practical context of Vaishnava etiquette and how to properly deal with that. We are not delving into detail about the full meaning and explanation and conception of each line. That's for another moment, but of course, again, that helps us, that will inform 
our approach to all these practices. So hopefully you may be having this in place as well. So I will continue with, with Nam Japa and I think I will extend with this a little much more than with Diksha Mantras and that may take us even more than one meeting. So many of the things that we have spoken till now will apply here as well. So again, regarding speaking about Nam Japa, chanting Trinam in the form of Japa, then we will go to Nam Sankirtan. Uh, again, it will help a lot to us to know about the glories of Srinam. We already are informed about that, but we are never enough informed. We can always be more informed and nourished by hearing about Nam Mahima, the glories of Harinam Prabhu. So in one sense, there is no need to speak about the glories of Srinam. We already have very clear which is the position of Nam in our particular tradition, which is called sometimes Nam Dharma, which is not a religion where the chanting of God's names is an important part, but it's the religion in itself. And all the other things are parts that revolve around Nam, the chanting. And so that's a very important focus that Mahaprabhu had put in, in chanting of Srinam. So in one sense we may say there's no need to speak about that, but at the same time there is full need. <laughs> but we have no time again here to enter into details about Nam. We have already spoken of many series about these Japa retreats or whatever other tip top meetings so I, 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 I have full confidence that each one of you will be very correctly properly continuing informing and nourishing your Nam Sambanda if you will the oriental the conceptual orientation towards understanding who is Sri Nam that of course as Mahaprabhu will say Tamil Shamala to see and so on um Mahaprabhu is, this, the Nam, he says, Sri Nam is non different from Sri Jashodastananda, yeah, Krishna Nam Narudiriti, and so on. So he says, Sri Nam is non different from a Tamil tree, dark like a Tamil tree, he's Krishna. He's the one who is sucking the breast of Yashoda. All scriptures are establishing that. So the point is, Abhinatvam Namanamino. Sri Nam is non different from Hari, from the Nami, from the one who is named. So everything is there. Niyasharva Saktis. All Shaktis are present in Srinam and more, if you will. Special extension of Krishna's merciful disposition. So, again, there's no, there's not a topic today to enter into the details of the glory of Srinam, but we should always bear in mind the topmost importance of Srinam, not only of Srinam, but also of the practice of Japa as a complement to Sankirtan. So we will share some words about that, of course. Because when we speak about Yuga Dharma, we may say Nam Sankirtan, but Japa is part of that. It's an extension of that principle. Sri Nam is there. And we will speak about that today in the next lectures. And, uh, of course, we will speak about the quality of how we embrace the practice, but also sometimes the, 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 the component, component of quantity may be connected to that in a proper way. For example, quantity is below quality in one sense. I mean, I can have lots of quantity, but no quality. But the point is, if, if there is quality, that will bring quantity, for sure. But also, if we commit ourselves to Sri Guru, in relation to chanting some fixed number of rounds, if you will, some quantity, and we do that with the proper mood, we try to fix and maintain that, again, in a healthy way, not just attached to a number, that will give us blessings, will bring forth stability and uh, fixation. 
in, in our budget. So this is an important point that I consider to, 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 to take. And, and, and I appreciate how my Guru Maharaj approaches this. When he's giving Harinam to someone, he will ask, how, which is the number you promised today? Which is your bow? How, how many rounds will you chant? He's not imposing a particular number that is absolute for everyone, which I understand that it may be done as Prabhupada Prabhupad did in Iskand, but he started putting another number, as you know. He first suggested you can chant a lakh, then the boy to say, no way, basically. So he say half a lakh, and they say still no way. So okay, 16 rounds. And, he's, and he felt that's working, so we can maintain that. But of course in time, in some cases, I remember one lady disciple of him asked, said, I cannot finish my 16 rounds. And, and she was really tortured by that, feeling I'm totally failing my guru. And he said, but... You have been, you had, you had a baby recently, right? <laughs> say yes. So she said that those are your rounds now. Uh, like implying, you try to chant, of course, but under, also be realistic with the dynamics. So there will be adjustments, and of course, in time you can chant even more than sixteen. It's not that you have only to chant sixteen. If you chant less, you are a sinner. If you are chant more, you are a sinner. <laughs> if you chant fifteen, you are a sinner. If, if you chant seventeen, you are a sinner. Sixteen, you are a saintly person. It's not like that. So be be careful with those structures. And actually, quality is the most important thing. I I know, for example, great. Vaishnavas, um, like for example Haridas Shastri, he was quite renowned and appreciated in the Gaudiya community. And he, during initiation, he said to the disciples, of course, depending each case, but in some cases he said, at least chant one round per day, but chant it properly. <laughs> and he made a special emphasis on the chanting properly to the point that you will, you will, you will not feel only one round. You follow. Because if I tell you chant only one round, I say, oh, only one round, that's that's easy. But if you just make a special emphasis, but do it really nicely and properly, the whole round, there you will start to, to tremble, maybe. You will find that's more difficult than chanting 16 rounds in a mediocre way, if you will. <laughs> Even to put it more strictly, what does it mean to chant nicely and perfectly? Even one bead, what to speak of one round, trying to chant one bead fully. Try, try to give yourself fully to Srinam in one beat. After that we can speak about two beats. After that we can speak about one round. After that we can speak about more and more. So that's important way of considering our chanting. Because very subtly we may get attached to counting rather than chanting. So I prefer one round perfectly nicely chanted as 60 rounds chanted in, in a really mechanical way, superficial way, whatever way. And of course, 16 rounds nicely chanted, that's very nice and even more. Each one will have to see where one fits. So how to chant? That's something we, we will try to speak. How to chant, and as usual, something that may help us in order to conceive how to chant. And we have spoken about that in one of the Japa retreats, I think, last year. One of the first... Uh, most effective ways of describing how to do something is ha describing how not to do that. Hmm? We will resort to that in direct language. And so how not to chant Japa. Remember, we shared some video about that. And this may seem obvious, <laughs> but sometimes the most obvious thing are the most are those things that we really do not pay too much attention because they are too obvious. Hmm? 
so they have become part of our maybe daily life as well. So you shouldn't be chanting Japa while you are, for example, driving your car. You shouldn't be chanting Japa where you are checking your cell phone, replying WhatsApp messages. You should be chant. You should not be chanting Japa where scrolling down in social media. You shouldn't be chanting Japa where you are speaking with other people and having some sort of chit-chat and social japa or something like that. You shouldn't be chanting japa while eating. You shouldn't be chanting japa while do while reading a book. Just you shouldn't be chanting japa while being in a class. You are supposed to be hearing harikata, not to 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 things at the same time. Your mind cannot do that. Cannot manage that. You shouldn't be chanting japa while being in a kirtan. I mean, it may sound, of them may sound obvious and even embarrassing, but that can happen. I mean, the, the, the whole conclusion is you should not be chanting Japa while doing anything else. If you are doing something else, well, so you are doing something else, you are not chanting Japa. The point is, you should give your full attention, your full energy, your full presence. You should be in the present moment <laughs> and honor properly the visit. Host, be a proper host for these mm, guests that are coming, Sisirada Krishna, in the form of Srinam, if you will. So, again, this is basic, but in practice, we should try to do that. And we know, I, I won't go into the details of that. Of course, the mind will want to go somewhere else, will be distracted because we missed purpose in what we are doing. Mm, so, we will, we will have to go back to the chanting to hear attentively mm, and to concentrate on the sound concentrate on what we are doing at that present moment. We can only have an experience in the present moment. And that's a sattvic disposition. Again, you have sattva to begin with, what to speak of, Bishuddha sattva. If your mind is running to the future, and what will happen there, and maybe some anxiety and fear about what will happen, that's Rajaguna. Your mind is running to the past, nostalgia, and trying to bring to the present something that already is gone, that's tamasic disposition. So to remain in the present moment and welcome whatever has to come at that present moment, to be attentive, to be aware of what's going on, that's sattvic. To begin with, again, from that, if we really are in touch with Srinam, that will take us even beyond sattva. So try to to be there in the moment. As, and, and of course that will be a struggle and you have to make some effort to concentrate, to, to, to pay attention, to pray for mercy. That's what chanting is about. It's not supposed that you will be sitting and everything will flow automatically with full spontaneous attachment to Srinam. I mean, if that happens, great. You have been practicing a lot in previous lifetimes. But in the beginning, there may be some, some struggle. And as much as we get accustomed to these bad habits that I mentioned before, of course, the more difficult will be to chant properly. So we should do some proper research in our own hearts how we are conceiving, dealing with that. Because again, chanting Srinam is receiving Sri Sri and Krishna in our life. They are coming, they are knocking on our door. So we should be properly good hosts again. Sometimes the Bodhis had mentioned this idea of chanting with Prabhupada's audio in the back, chanting Japa or some other audio of some devotee chanting Japa. Personally, I do not do that. I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's sinful or something, but somehow that may create some distraction, if you will. And with this, I'm not one to offend the Prabhupada, for sure. But the point is, 
The idea of the chanting is also you pay attention to your own chanting. So sometimes you put the audio, someone else is chanting, and your mind may go there. Of course, I don't, I'm not saying there is, a, there is no benefit in hearing someone like Srila Prabhupada chanting Japa. But again, chanting Japa means chanting Japa yourself and hearing that, and, and you can hear someone else is chanting Japa in some other moment, as we say, when you are sleeping or something. So what to speak of putting some other things in the background? I've seen sometimes devotees chanting Japa, but putting Kirtan in the background, Kirtan music or a lecture. But again, your mind starts to go somewhere else. And you may feel, oh, I chanted the rounds very quickly, very smoothly. But actually, because you were totally distracted, it's like if you are chanting Japa while you are cooking or while you are reading, and you are mainly reading rather than chanting. So you may feel, oh, the 16 rounds went so quickly, but actually you were most focused on something else. And that's why you were not uh, suffering, if you will, <laughs> the chanting, you know, some, something like that. When we are trying just to chant and not to do anything else, there you will feel most probably there is some reaction to that and you need to deal with that. Also, do not try to interrupt your rounds. So you are chanting, try to chant, and even if you have something else to do, try to finish the round you are chanting. Do not leave the round just in the middle of that. Of course, if there is some emergency, the house is burning or something, that's another thing. But generally speaking, try to finish each round. Not leave the round at the, at the middle. Sometimes I've seen devotees having some sort of, I don't know how do you call, where you can hang your japa beats, whatever you were chanting, and when you will come back doing whatever you were doing, continue from that spot. But again, that may create a pattern that you can do that anytime you want, and that becomes constantly interrupted. And especially nowadays, we live in a... In social media yoga times, <laughs> and having a cell phone close to you while chanting japa, that's one of the most dangerous things on earth because that implies constant interruption. At every, I don't know, in one minute, that will vibrate or sound who knows how many times, and that will create some interruption. So, I will recommend you put your cell phone somewhere else because japa mala is your cell phone at that moment, that's a real cell phone. Mahamantra is the number, direct number to call Krishna. And there will be no answering machine on the other side. There is no, leave your message, we are not at home now. There will be immediate reply. But you have to also call in the proper way. So there you have your cell phone, there you have your phone number. Mahamantra, Japamala. Put all the other numbers and cell phones somewhere else at that moment. Because if not, there will be constant interruption. And that, and that will, that may create Again, unhealthy patterns that will really affect your concentration. Our concentration is already affected. As we, I remember we spoke with Guru Nista some time ago about this, these phenomenon and some books written on this like Digital Minimalism or The Shallows, what the internet is doing to our brain. I recommend devotees to study a little bit those type of works because that really gives us a glimpse of how uh, modern dynamics and social media may really be affecting our concentration and attention. And that's, if you will, the, the best thing we have to offer to Bhagavan, especially when we are chanting, our attention, our fixation, our focus capacity. So we should be very careful about dealing with social media in such a way that it's not affecting that in a heavy way. Because there's no limit to how much that can affect our concentration. So we should be careful with this. Of course, if you speak about Vaishnava etiquette in the context of of chanting, 
we also have to mention the 10 offenses. Uh, I mean, to, to mention that they should be considered, I won't enter into detail and mention each of them and explain them. But you know, there are main 10 offenses, Nama Parat called, mentioned in the Puranas, that we should avoid, that has to do with not to engage in uh, offense toward Guru, Vaishnav, Shastra, not take the holy name in vain, do not think that whatever the scripture is saying is an exaggeration, do not sin on the strength of chanting, not to give the whole name to those devoid of faith, and so on. We should know them by heart, ideally, and not only mechanical repetition, by, by heart in every sense of the term, by heart. They should be in our heart. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I, I recommend that I won't enter into those details, but that's part of how to properly honor and deal with Srinam. Again, in a, not in an erotic way, not only about the don'ts. I shouldn't be doing that, I shouldn't be doing that, but indirectly there are, speaking about what should we do, how, what's the favorable, positive, ideal disposition in each one of those offenses. Not to offend the Guru. What does it mean? I mean, Vishrambena Guru Seva. Serve him with love and affection and confidence. And so on. So, what else? We have some more minutes. In connection to the offenses, I would like to at least mention something that I have already mentioned, which has to do with pramada. Pramada means pramada japa in this case, will be like inattentive chanting. Pramada means inattentiveness. So, although it's not officially in the official list of 10 apparatus, sometimes it's included in the last one because it is, it's, it is an offense. The, the, the tenth offense is to be bereft of love for Srinam despite having heard its glories. Hmm? So the point is, try to try to go through the implications of that. Hmm? You heard the glories of Srinam, you understand the tattoo of Srinam, what is Srinam, who is Srinam, hmm? all that is included there, how it's approaching us in such a generous way. Hmm? And if despite all that generous dispensation, we do not make our best attempt, our best effort to properly reciprocate, to properly return the embrace, and we really <clears throat> allow ourselves to inattentiveness, and we know that, and we do not pay too much attention, do not care, that will fall into the category of Aparat. Bhakti Notakur makes special emphasis on this inattentiveness. He, he even said, that's the root cause of all the other operats. <laughs> and it's so so subtle because you can really, again, de develop an habit of that. De create some scars in that connection of inattentiveness, create the whole habit, and for you eventually chanting Japa will be basically that, engaged in inattentiveness. <laughs> that may be a synonym. Chanting Japa will be synonym of doing something else while chanting Japa. <laughs> And that's the idea, but unfortunately, this practice of Pramada Japa, inattentive Japa, is widespread in different groups. I've seen many devotees who all get accustomed to chant Japa at any moment, in any way, like with the idea we should be chanting at every moment and continuously, but that also creates this type of patterns. So they will be chanting while driving, as I say, while walking, while cooking, while sleeping, while, while eating, and somehow or other, the real chant, the real attentiveness, they will be even more attached to quantity. They may do that also in order to reach the daily quota, if you will. So they will consider, again, quantity more important than quality. At any cost, they will want to finish their daily quota. 
And my point is, at the end of your life, nobody will ask you how many rounds did you, how many rounds did you chant. Nobody will ask you that. The question will be in terms of which was the quality of that. Nobody will ask you quantities. In terms of quantity, how many temples you open, how many books you have written or read, how many devotees you have made, if you will. <laughs> we do not make devotees to begin with, but Bhakti herself does that. But the quantity question won't be there, but the quality question will be there. And that will really, that's what the Gita says. Jam jam bhapish maram bhavam tyayanti ante kalivaram tamtami vaiti bhava bhavita. Three times in this verse the word bhava is included. So bhava means. It doesn't mean quantity. It doesn't mean the number. Bhava means, and doesn't mean bhava bhakti, basically. Bhava means mood. So which was the inner mood, the attitude through which you were engaged in these things. That will determine your next life, says the Gita. According to the bhava in which you have lived your life, that bhava you will have when living in this world, and that bhava will take you to your next birth. So all is in terms of bhava. Of a particular, and with this again, I do not refer to bhava bhakti, but to having the, a particular mood that will create a particular destiny. Hmm? So this happens. Hmm? This happens, and also this happens. Uh, how to say? In in the name of finishing our quota, we may also dismiss the engaging in sankirtan. This happens. Two things happen sometimes. Some may engage in Sankirtan, this is a Juga Dharma, no need for Japa. Some other may be excessively attached. We, I have to finish my daily quote of Japa, no need for Sankirtan. So we may undermine Sankirtan in the name of Japa or in the name of being, for example, a Bhajananandi, if you will. But unfortunately, mostly of many so-called Bhajananandis may spend lots of time in finishing their daily lack, but sometimes that daily lack is, can be Pramada Japa mostly. And they may spend no time in Karinams and Kirtan. And also it's important for me to balance these two things. It's not only I finish my daily quote of Jabba, that's all. Karinams and Kirtan, especially in the beginning, for many, that will be much more helpful even than Jabba. Bhakti Notakur say that. If it's too difficult for you to engage in Jabba, of course you shouldn't dismiss that altogether too easily, but you should may you, you may complement that with further uh, doses of Harinams and Kirtan, which may capture your mind and attention more easily and purify your heart in order to engage more and more than in Japa. And for many of us, half an hour of a rip-roaring Kirtan, if you will, not a Rajasic one, but a deep, intensely, emotionally intense Kirtan, will create a greater effect than eight hours of Japa, maybe. So we should be honest about that. But honest means everything. Honest from tip to toe. Honest doesn't mean, yes, for me, Kirtan is easier than Jabba, so I stopped chanting Jabba altogether. That's not honesty. But honesty means, yes, I need, I, I need, Sankirtan will be really helpful in order for me to chant Jabba better. I won't leave Jabba altogether, but maybe I'm trying trying to chant more than I can, 64 or whatever number, and I'm, I'm reaching the number, but I don't feel I'm doing that from the proper way, so I may... Adjust that and complement that with Sankirtan according to my Guru's uh, instruction, guidance. All those things can be spoken about and, and adjusted and readjusted according to one's situation in life. So I think it's important. I, Sankirtan is not the topic yet, but some mentioning that in connection to to how, again, in the name of Java we can, or in the name of Vinayabha Jananand, you can dismiss 
Sankirtan altogether and not engage even in proper japa even. So again, to honor to honor to chant japa properly means to be I like this idea to increase our hosting capacity. Hosting capacity because Srinam is coming as a guest, Atiti Devo Babam says in the Indian culture, a guest, especially an uninvited guest, is to be treated as God. So what to speak if God himself is the guest? <laughs> How he should be treated? And you are inviting him. So try to make sense of that. An uninvited guest should be treated as God. Try to get that point. Then, what to speak if the guest is God, is actually God, not as God, is God himself in his ultimate form. And what to speak if I myself, I inviting him to come. How should I behave? It's like, if you come to my house, Okay, you were unexpected, I was not prepared for that, but if I'm inviting you, I mean, it is supposed that I, I should be ready to receive you in some way. So that's what's going on in Japa. Hmm? Let's give another example. Suppose that the Srila Gurudev, your, your Guru Maharaj, is coming to visit you in your house. Hmm? And he enters and you are watching TV. Hopefully not, but I'm giving some unbecoming scenario. So you are watching TV, huh? And maybe you see him and say, Guru Maharaj, you can sit. Oh, look, the program is really, really exciting. And you say to your, your wife, please offer a glass of, of milk, of water to, to Gurudev. And you continue watching that and occasionally you say something to him. And you are half listening to him. But at the same time, you continue watching TV. That's the main engagement at that. That will be, that will be certainly offensive. I mean, we laugh about that. But the point is, Sometimes we are doing that with Japa. So the point is some attention in this example may, may have been given to Sri Guru, but it's a shared attention, it's divided. It's not ekagraha, like the Gita says, but it's multi-branched focus, which is not focus at all. So if you are sharing your attention, like this example with your guru, but with material things, whatever TV is showing, mine is like a TV, if you will. So this is the same with japa. If you combine japa with any other activity, material activity, whatever, you are dividing your attention, your heart, your energy at that moment. And you are basically saying to Srinam, I don't care too much about you. I don't care. So we should not contradict ourselves. If we care about Srinam and we are inviting and we pray for mercy, we should walk the talk. Hmm? So that's why Japa should be ideally done in a particular way, in a particular disposition. Hmm? For example, and we have some minutes yet. Ideally, Japa should be performed while sitting down. Maybe in Padmasana, in lotus position for those who can, who can do so, at least for a while. It should be done in a solitary place. One should keep one's japa mala in a very... I mean, generally japa mala may go to in one's heart. That's a nice way of chanting. You can keep that close to your heart or or next nearby the navel, that area. And one may be murmuring or mentally repeating the syllables of Srinam. One shouldn't be a... One should, do, should not do, for example, a public show of chanting japa, if you will. I've seen that sometimes. People walking and chanting and basically saying, look how much I chant. And all day chanting and look how many of the little beats I pass, the ones that you count, the, the rounds you have chanted. <laughs> but generally, Japa is, 
you will chant Japa privately. It's, it's, a, it's a private way of chanting. Sankirtan is, of course, another expression of chanting where you externalize your emotion. In Japa, it's more internal. Of course, Sankirtan is totally internal, but in another hmm, dynamics. So you should chant your Japa, again, in a, in a solitary place. You, just, as Sanatana Goswami will say, Gopayet Gururatmana, Gopayet Ishtadevatam, Gopayet Chaniyama, Nijamalikam, Gopayet Chaniyamantra. You should hide your Istadev, you should hide your Guru, you should hide your Malika, you should hide your Mantra. Hide doesn't mean that you will kidnap Gurudev and put him in a room. I'm following Sanatan Goswami. It means try to keep him or try to keep all these principles I mentioned. Istadev, Mantra, Malika. Malika refers to the bag, as you call in English, where the Mala is, the Malika. You should hide them. You should not make a public show of that. You should not make that something cheap. This is something that you confidentially are uh, dealing with in the depth core, in the core of your heart. Mm? So, for example, chanting Japa generally, the tradition is at least most of your of your rounds. You will try to chant them in a private way, in a quiet way. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, in a private room, <coughs> if you have the chance. Or in the temple room, if you have, if you live in a temple or whatever. But try to get my point. Mm -hmm. I remember once one devotee, we were in 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 this was where in Bulgaria, some years ago, um, and we were in one retreat that we were invited with another sannyasi friend of mine, Swami Maharaj. And after being in the retreat, we it lasted almost a week, four days, five days. So both of us, no, at least or. Standard is we wake up in the morning and we will chant Japa in our own room, in our own place, if you will. We are not chanting Japa like in the, in publicly, mostly. So at the end of the retreat, one devotee, we heard that. He didn't say that to us, but he was criticizing us, saying, these sannyasis are not chanting Japa. And he was saying that because he never saw us chanting Japa. <laughs> So we were laughing, like implying, I mean, we are supposed to, to show to the public that we are chanting, so they believe us. I mean, that's not to be done, again, openly, if you will, as a show. I'm chanting, and of course, this person that was saying that was all day long chanting Japa in front of everyone, but you felt that he was, with all respect, but engaged in Pramada Japa. He was chanting Japa in the class, he was chanting Japa at every moment, and you realized that he was not chanting Japa. He was mainly showing, I'm chanting Japa. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. for example, Hari Bhakti Vilas, Sanatana Goswami says there, in times other than the Japa time, one should worship the mala. Mm -hmm. Mala means like garland, in this case will mean the, the beads that, will, that one uses for chanting. It's a garland of beads. So in, other, in times other than the Japa time, one should worship the mala and keep it hidden. When I say worship, not necessarily you have to do a daily arti or something. Well, one should respect, one should honor the Japa Mala. Maybe before chanting, after chanting, one can put that in one's head. One, you won't put the Mala or the Malika with the bead bag anywhere. You won't throw it in a, in a dirty place, on the floor. And keep, keep it hidden, he says there. Like, again, you are not just like showing. Here's my Mala here, how many rounds I did. It's a confidential affair. It's a very secret thing. So, in a humble way, we should do that, of course. So, 
there are many points to continue sharing. Um, I don't know if stopping here, maybe you may have some questions. So I think, uh, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's finish here. Um, we can continue next next lecture about topics connected to this. And I'm Japan, of course. We will give some time if you have if you have any question. So I will unmute you all in case you may have some other question, some question. Uh, yes, Mahara. Yes, Mahara. Um, my, my voice is being heard there. Being there. I can put my video on. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, mm -hmm. when we're chanting Java with others, um, are we supposed to be really quiet? Because you were saying how it's not good to have, well, I mean, I don't have Prabhupada playing, but you were mentioning that it could be distracting. So what about when we chant with other devotees? Um, are we supposed to be really quiet? What do you mean by quiet? What do you mean by quiet? Well, a lot of the Sangha chants, and you don't even know they're chanting, and we've always, when Prabhupada, we th with Prabhupada, we were always chanting pretty, like, not loud, but more <clears throat> kind of, like, as if we're talking almost. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know what you thought about that. Yeah, I'm muting you because my voice is here and there. And, well, I will, I plan to speak about that next lecture, so... I may say something now, but I plan to speak further more about this. This was just like an introduction to Namjab. There are many other considerations that we may share next Thursday. But <clears throat> I know that also there have been some standards that had been kind of established during Sila Prabhupada's time. And I think he also kind of allowed that in the beginning, you know, to, to the, so the devotees may get connected, but they are not so much part of the of the traditional way of doing those things. And for example, I don't know, during Prabhupada time, you, you may have this idea of the Japa walk. But strictly speaking, <clears throat> according to, I will share some quotes from Harabhakti Vilas, according to that, you are not supposed to be walking all together while chanting Japa. So what to speak of a Japa walk, of creating a whole event <laughs> in connection to that. And with this, I'm not saying if you are walking, there's no chanting at all. You are totally sinful. I myself sometimes try chant a few of my rounds walking in the in the afternoon because I need to walk and sometimes I don't have time during the day to walk and chant and all that separately. But I try to chant most of my rounds while being sitting. So, and also I know that this was part of, I don't know, also chanting with all other devotees in one room or even chanting uh, all at unison, you say, like, one round all together at the same time. All the things are actually not mentioned in scripture. So there were some nuanced expressions that take part in time. And of course, also the chanting in different volumes of voice. That's also mentioned in scripture. You can chant in loud voice. You can uh, chant in more whispering way. And you can chant mentally. There are different ways of chanting. And that will depend according to one's own um, Situation, adhikars, and necessity. I've seen the devotees who get accustomed to chant rounds almost like running around the room. And I wouldn't say that's so healthy. I wouldn't say, uh, well, yeah, you are accustomed to do that for sure. I, I, I'm sure some person may accustomed to that, but you may try to be a little bit more 
quiet, less rajasic, because I'm seeing the devotees almost like going like this in the room and chanting like, and to the point that they don't even are pronouncing properly the mantra even. They are jumping on words and missing words. They are chanting some other mantra. <laughs> so, so those things require some adjustment because, I mean, sometimes we may be just mainly carried by the gunas at that moment. I'm not saying there's no benefit. I'm not saying black or white here. But we are here speaking about how to increase the quality of our chanting, the absorption, and, and, and that takes certain steps and adjustments. It's not just like magically I chant whatever I, as whatever I feel and that will take me to the topmost level of chanting. Sometimes we may need to have some adjustments in that connection. So, so in this connection I'm not, again, condemning or dismissing how devotees may be chanting, but Sometimes some things have been established in time in more relative consideration and in time it's nice for you one to be open to to reconsider some of those things which effect is that creator creating in me, is that taking me to further introspection. And again there are adjustments. If there's some person who has a problem in their legs, they cannot sit in Padmasana, I won't be saying you do it anyway. No, I mean there are so many relative and specific cases. But the the general idea is try to Again, try to absorb in what you are doing. Try to not do something else simultaneously. Try to focus your mind. And how will you do that? Okay, that will may take different forms and something may help more for one devotee than for other according to their stage. But maybe in another stage, that thing that helped me in the beginning is not that helpful now. So I may be open to, to reconsider. So again, there is place for... For some things, of course, not for anything that the one may create in one's own mind regarding chanting, but there is some there can be some flexible context and parameters depending each one's case. So, some ideas in that connection. But we will continue uh, unfolding the topic in, in the next lecture for sure. So I hope that helps. I cannot hear you. Okay. So, and then I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned, you know, I, I think you mentioned in relation to people still chant, devotees still chanting, but what about if you are, what about if we are cooking or cleaning or doing other things and we're just chanting along with that, but sometimes, you know, we're not always con concentrating on the holy name. Is that offensive? Well, it depends. I will turn, mute you again, sorry. It depends, again, how you are chanting. I mean, you can. I'm not saying you just... Of course, you won't be hopefully chanting Japa while doing those things. You will be chanting the, the number of rounds you promised to your guru while doing those things, trying to get the quota. <laughs> you may be chanting <clears throat> in Kirtan, if you will, let's say, loud voice or reciting the mantra. It's okay, no problem. But at the same time, one should try to chant that as co consciously as possible. Because you can also make of that some background music only, if you will. <laughs> no, like extending that idea to the example of the kirtan with Krishna Das Babaji. Sometimes the devotees wanted to record Krishna Das Babaji's kirtan, the famous disciple of Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta. And he asked, why you are recording my kirtan? Why do you want to record it? So we can hear them after, they say. I say, okay, but it's better that you yourself perform kirtan, he say. Like implying... Sometimes we can take Japa or Kirtan and just play them like background music and that may not be the same as if we really understand I should be performing that and I should be performing that 
from a particular way, in a particular mood. So, yes, we can chant Harinam at every moment, but again, we should also be careful of not developing some pattern of just like parroting the name, because that can happen. So we, if we are parroting the name all along the day, maybe when we sit to chant Japa, that pattern may come to haunting us. If you will. So we should be attentive to that, because that can happen. It's not just by repeating the syllables externally. Bhakti no Thakur say that. How, how, how is the Bengali? Uh, well, I cannot recall the Bengali now, but he said, the syllables may be sounding, but that's not necessarily Srinam. So the point is, it's not that just by parroting the sound, I'm guaranteed that I'm totally under the shelter of the Swarup Shakti, if you will. <laughs> uh, and that's promoting my progress. Maybe it may be better in some cases not to repeat the the name, the name in that way, mechanical or parting, and maybe just be silent and thinking about something connected to your ideal and being introspective while cleaning, washing the dishes. <laughs> and you may take more advantage, even though you, your lips were not saying Hare Krishna. So sometimes we have to go beyond the, the external form, because if not, we may have this idea. No, but I'm chanting. I'm chanting at every moment, so I'm, I'm safe. I'm protected. I'm blessed. But what's going on inside? <laughs> You can do it just lip, lips, lip chanting. No, so it's important to take care of. It's a whole project. It's a whole relationship. That's the point. Chanting means developing our relationship with Radha Krishna. So relationship takes time and and takes sacrifice and focus. So how you are taking care of that relationship? No? So one should be introspective and get to that conclusion. Each one of us personally. So we should take that as a very sacred thing. So again, one can repeat that nam in every moment, even in the shower, as we say the other day, <laughs> but with a proper conception, with a proper attitude. If you feel that that's not happening and you are instead of that invoking a pattern of inattentiveness, you may put pause to that and try to create some other type of introspection and attentiveness that may nourish our chanting. So I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Okay, there is one question here in the chat by Tadas, so I'll continue with that one, and if there is any other, we continue then. He says, Does it count as Sankirtan if I sing Kirtan just together with my wife? Because it is a kind of, it's, it is kind of personal thing, maybe even more than Japa for me. When I have tried to do it with others, it was like one big distraction. Thank you. Uh, yes, of course, Kirtan, I mean... If you chant Japa loudly, that's Kirtan even. That's that's considered Kirtan according to, to Sanatana Goswami. If you chant Japa mentally, that's considered Smaran, actually. Manasika Japa. I will speak on that next class. If you chant Japa loudly, that's actually considered Kirtan. If, if you chant Japa whispering, that's considering Japa, <laughs> basically. So that to be, I'm saying that to begin with. But what to speak if you are not doing japa, but you are chanting kirtan loudly with your wife. In this case, even you may be without your wife, you may be for your on yourself and chanting loudly, and that's kirtan also. Of course, the idea of san kirtan, one of the meaning of sam, will have to do with sangha or with samyak or complete kirtan in terms of quantity, implying some someone else. But also, if you chant by yourself. Loudly with proper attitude, that's also counted as sankirtan. There will be someone else for sure in that kirtan, even though you may not see them. <laughs> but of course, the principle of sankirtan regarding 
congregational chanting implies in the congregation of like-minded devotees, in the congregation of people that join together with a common ideal, not just lots of people chanting together. That's not necessarily Sankirtan. They may have totally different interests, and one is chanting just for the sake of being famous, to delight himself aesthetically through music. Some other is trying to catch the attention of the ladies by, look how I play Mridanga, or whatever. Some other is chanting, oh, by this name I will be pious and I will attain Swarga, I will attain Moksha and Merch in Brahman. And some other may be chanting with the proper intention according to our school. So my point is, ideally what we say Sankirtan is all the members, and I will speak more about that in the Sankirtan lecture, if you will, but all the members will have a common ideal and will be like surrendering their egos into the fire of the Sankirtan Yajna for the sake of Srinam. So yes, it, it, sometimes my point is sometimes you may get a, a group of many people that you feel this is not so favorable, so this is not so complete Kirtan, so some Kirtan, <laughs> it's some in English, some Kirtan, but not some Kirtan. <laughs> so you may find more favorable to chant by yourself or with some few selected number of people that you are like-minded and you feel this is much more substantial. That can happen, for sure. So I hope that helps. Is there any other question before finishing? You can unmute yourself in that case. <clears throat> okay, it seems we have no further questions today, so I will finish here today's lecture and we will continue with our next meeting on Thursday. We are re-establishing the normal course of, of lectures. So thank you very much for your time. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai, Gaur Primanan.